the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or some other translations for these death-dark ravines, even though I walk through those, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last week we we looked at how King David, the, the, the king of Israel, a warrior himself, writes this psalm and he actually position, positions himself into the place of being a sheep. He says, I am a sheep that is in need of a shepherd to guide me. He, he humbles himself to say that. And, and, and oftentimes what we talk about is how we in our own lives look to other shepherds. We look to these shepherds who don't actually care for us. We look to religion and moralism to, to make sure that we are doing everything right so that we get full life and God's blessing and we earn it. Or we look to the world or to culture for our purpose or for our security in life. But in the end, what we find is that rather than giving us life, they end up just sucking the life out of us and exhausting us and taking life from us. But the good shepherd Jesus actually gave up his life, gave his life in exchange to give us full life now and forever. And so today we're going to be talking about this idea that Jesus walks with us through valleys, through these, these paths that go through dark places, but it's actually an opportunity for us to draw closer to him and to be with him. And so kind of set the stage for this. I've, I've led several trips overseas before. At my old church, I was the missions pastor, and we would take trips uh, overseas. I lived in Jordan for a year and brought people around the country of Jordan. We went to Petra. I've led trips to, to Iraq, to uh, Northern Africa, and Tunisia, to West Africa, and Senegal, to South Africa. And, and I always found that there were all these different kinds of people that would come on missions trips. And uh, there was this one group that was always, like, super organized, they would have all their ducks in a row. They would all all their paperwork organized. They would know all the dates, all the logistics. They would have all the plans in place. They would have contingency plans in places in case anything went wrong. Like these are the people that would make copies of everyone's passport, and I would give it to them. And I'd be like, "You keep track of these on the trip because someone's probably going to lose something. You have copies of everything." And they'd be like, "Great, I can do that. That's fantastic." Or there'd be other people on the trip who were like the worriers of the trip. All right, these are the people who were like always nervous about everything, uptight, a little bit concerned about whether or not we were going to, to, to make our planes and all this stuff. The airports were like panic-inducing to them. They were convinced that there was danger around every corner. And then in the midst of their fear, they would actually miss details that were necessary for the trip because they were so concerned about the rest of the journey and what was going to happen. And they were just, they were the worriers of the journey. Or, or there were people who were, they were up for anything. Like, they were just the adventurers of the group. They would go anywhere. They would meet anyone. They would go and enjoy any new food, meet any new people, speak in a, like, try to speak in a different language they'd never learned before. They're like, I can do this. It's fine. Like, they were super adventurous. I also found that they were the people who could fall asleep on the runway. You met these people? Like, they're out in 10 minutes while you're taxiing, and I'm like, I can't sleep for 12 hours. And they're just out cold. They wake up, and they're like, oh, we're there? Like, they're, they're these types of people. They're just up for anything. They're wanderers, and they're fearless. And, and these are the people who are often the ones who, like, aren't at the check-in when you need them to be there because they've wandered around in the airport somewhere. Anyway, they're the adventuring types who are out kind of trying to make their own path. So, like, what about you? Like, what kind of journeyer are you? And I don't just mean on trips, but I mean in life. How are you going about your journey? Are you, are you a planner? 
trying to have everything in a row and all boxed up and sealed up so nothing can go wrong. And if it does, you've got a plan. Are you, are you a worrier? I feel like I'm a little bit anxious about life. I'm scared there's, there's something around every corner that might come out and get me. Or you like, you're the adventuring, wandering type. It's like, I'm just trying new things. I'm making my life. Like, we are going, we're doing new things, and we're going to try all these, you know, fantastic adventures. So what we're going to look at today is how different people kind of pursue this path with Jesus. I want to focus on verses 3 and 4 today in the text. But I kind of want to come away with kind of three things here. And don't worry, this is not a three-point sermon in the classic sense. There's just kind of three things I want to draw out of this text. The first is that, that God leads us for his glory and for our good. God leads us for our good and his glory. That, that it's not always a well-lit, easy path. It's just not. It's not always well-lit and easy. And, but the thing is that he is with us. That he is Emmanuel, God with us now and forever into uh, eternity. And so, in verse 3, kind of the second half of verse 3 and verse 4, David says this. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David's saying he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So last week we spent a considerable amount of time talking about what or who we give authority to to guide us, to shepherd us. And, and I would argue, like I said earlier, that a lot of us uh, give authority to bad shepherds to guide us, but a lot of us don't even really think about who we've given authority to. We don't even think about what we've asked to guide us or given permission to to guide us. And life, a lot of the time, feels like when you get home from work or from a long trip, you, get, you pull up in the drive and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. You ever had this experience? You're like, I, I don't even consciously remember getting here. How did this happen? We do this in life sometimes. And, and what David is indicating here in this verse is that he is consciously, willingly, intentionally giving authority to God to guide him, to lead him, to shepherd him on the paths of life and go where God calls him to because he wants to be with God. And he says that God calls him on these paths of righteousness, these paths of righteousness. And that seems like, like a big word and a word like, what the heck does righteousness have to do with my everyday life in the valley? Like paths of righteousness, what does this mean? Well, for lack of a better word, really what he's going after there is, is these paths of righteousness are actually paths of rightness. Paths of, 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 of the right things, of, of, of fairness, of good judgment. It's not so much about paths of holiness. Often we think of the word righteous as like, oh, like the righteous one, holy and righteous. And really what he's talking about here, though, is, is more about wise, wise paths or paths that in the long run lead to good things that lead to long-term benefit, which to me, that makes a bit more sense. Like that I can, I can kind of grasp hold of for my everyday life, but we need to actually process this a little bit and think about this. Are you walking on paths of wisdom, paths of rightness with God? Again, not, I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you're super righteous and holy, but are you walking in the guidance and the wisdom of God in his love and goodness and wisdom in your everyday lives, in your everyday decisions? Are you actually consciously trying to follow God and have him guide you? Or are you just ending up in the driveway of your life all the time like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know what has been happening with my life. I don't know how we've gotten to this point. 
Have you ever thought about where, where you've come from or where you're headed? See, a lot of time, sheep are like this. I'm reading this book about sheep and shepherding in the midst of this whole study on Psalm 23, and sheep are like this as well. They don't, they don't follow the shepherd all the time. They typically do one of two things. They, they, they have a natural tendency to stay put. They just want to stay right where they are, chew up the grass, stay right there, never leave. Or they have this proclivity to wander. They just want to go off on their own, pursue their own journey, pursue their own path, and go wherever they want. But either way, neither of which, staying put or wandering, is following the shepherd. It's doing what they want to do. And, and in this book, I was talking about a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller, the author, says that a good shepherd will always keep his eye on the sheep and on the pasture. He will see what the sheep are eating and keep an eye on it and what they're consuming. And, and, and when they have grazed a spot for a little while, what he will do is say, okay, we need to move on. We need to move out of this spot for the sake of the pasture and for the sake of the sheep. We need to go to another place where we've scouted out for good food and clean water and all these things to, to eat and drink. You see, the shepherd wants their best. So he will push them a little bit to move into new territory. But like I said, what, what he says in this book is that a lot of time they will just sit right there. They will just stay in that same spot and they will gnaw at the grass. He says, they will gnaw at the grass and they will paw at it until they're eating the roots down through the dirt rather than moving into new territory. And he said the other thing that happens is when they stay in the same spot for a while, what happens is predators start to get wind of, their, of where they're at, the paths that they're staying on all the time, and they will attack them in that spot. He says, so it's for their good to move them on to new territory. When we, when we lived in Jordan, anytime I've taken trips, if, if you've traveled abroad, especially in like sketchy places, the U.S. State Department will always tell you the same thing. If you're going to be there for a while, alter your paths. Don't keep going the same route back and forth to your destination because if there's bad guys around who want to get you, kidnap you, mug you, they will get you when you keep going to the same path, taking the same path, going to the same place, doing the same thing. They say you have to alter what you do, which is like when you're raising a family in the Middle East, you, you remember this. Like you remember don't keep doing the same thing because you will get picked off by bad guys of some sort. And so, but think about that. Like some of us are like this in life, right? Like we want to just stay in the same place. We want life to stay the same. We want people to stay the same. We want relationships to stay the same. We want the same, we don't have pews. We want the same pew at church every week. We want to sing the same songs. Like we, we don't want things to get messed up. And so we just want things to stay exactly where they are. And, and, and if we sense something is starting to change, like we're just like, no, I'm just going to gnaw at the roots to get everything out of this that I can. Like I don't want to go and do this new thing or go into new territory. But the shepherd knows that full life is found in walking paths, paths of rightness into new territory. He knows what it takes to move you, to transform you. But then there's people on the other side of things. They don't stay put. They're not the people who want to sit and stay in the same place all the time. Some of us are like sheep that are constantly looking for new opportunities, constantly trying to make our own paths, constantly trying to provide for ourselves, to, to provide our own identity, to provide for what we need and, and try to have this sense of adventure. And he says, Keller says that often these sheep are the ones who wander off and end up like in a ditch somewhere because they've just been pursuing their own thing. They end up cast, it's called cast. They end up on their back and they're so fat from eating all the food in one spot that they can't roll back over. Like, did you know that sheep can do this? Like, it's a ridiculous image. And the shepherd has to come and whoop, roll them back over and get them back on their way. But they, they go off and they wander. They get attacked by wild animals because they're off by themselves away from the shepherd. 
But in either case, the result is the same. Whether you're, you know, this sheep is a wanderer or the sheep is the one that just wants to stay put. Whether we sit down and consume in one spot or we're constantly off wandering and looking for joy elsewhere, the end is the same. Stunted growth, poor health, injury, even, even death, like these fatal results. Like when we try and shepherd ourselves, <clears throat> it doesn't end up well. Right? Like the Psalm, uh, Proverbs says, 14, 12, <clears throat> that there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Like, we're like, not super wise people. Like, we make plenty of mistakes. And, and he says, like, when we try to just pursue our own ends all the time and sit down and just do what we want or go wherever we want, like, it doesn't end well for us. And what David is pointing out is that God, as his shepherd, leads him on right paths, on paths of wisdom. Sometimes he's called to rest and lie down in green grass and stay in the same meadow for a while. Other times he's called to strike out into new territory and to go to new places to find new grass and new water. But in either case, it's God who's the shepherd who knows what David needs to have full life. And life is, a, is, is this, this rhythm of supply and rest and movement and supply and rest and movement. And the shepherd knows what you need, when you need it, to be transformed, to be changed, to be more like him. Friends, the life of following Jesus is, is a good life of change and movement and new scenery. But it is also a life of supply and sustenance and rest and transformation. It, it's not static and meant to be this life of just consumption year after year. But it's also not this constant intense energy of like religion that says you constantly need to be doing and earning and doing and earning and going out and, and making your own life. And it's, and it's not the culture that says go out and provide for yourself. And, and it, it's this balance found in the wisdom on the paths of God. It's a journey that honestly has its best outcome when Jesus is the shepherd. When he's the one that we draw close to and draw life from. When we are with the shepherd. Friends, I have my kids memorizing this verse right now. I'm trying to memorize too that, that, that Jesus says, this is what eternal life is, is knowing God, is being with God, is knowing Jesus whom he has sent. Look at John 17. This is what he says eternal life is, is being with him on the paths of life. And what's fascinating is that David is keenly aware of something in the midst of this. When he's saying we're on these paths of, of following God, he says that it's actually for God's name's sake. It's for his namesake, for the sake of the shepherd, that he guides his sheep on good paths. Have you thought about that before? It's for the shepherd's glory and his own joy that the sheep are well fed, that the sheep are cared for. This is his livelihood. This is his life. He invests in these sheep. He wants to make sure that they're sustained and safe and cared for, that they make it to the next pasture in one piece. David's saying it's for his own good and for God's glory that God is leading him on paths of rightness, on these wise paths. But we'll cover a little bit more of that in a couple minutes. So does this mean then that it's always easy? Does it? No, right? I mean, it's like it just doesn't work like that in life. It's, it's like, no, it just doesn't go like that. Because David's saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear because you're with me. So like, great. Okay, Christian life is now walking through darkness with God. Fantastic. Like, this is, this is a great life. Well, I think there's something deeper here to it. It's about being with Jesus. 
He said, I'm going to walk through these valleys. And in the past, when I have read about valleys, I don't know what you picture, but here's what I picture. I picture this like beautiful mountain vista and like that's the place you want to be. And when you go into the valley, it's like going down, down, down into the darkness and you don't want to be down there. Like that's what he's saying. Maybe we need to avoid that. But what Keller points out in this, this book on Psalm 23 is beautiful here for me. It's just a great, great picture of reality. He says that, that as the spring thaw starts to happen, as the snow starts to melt off the mountains, and when the, the warmth of summer is on the way, the shepherds will actually move their flocks from the lower areas up into the mountains. They will move them up into cooler weather where the grass is starting to grow, coming out from underneath the snow. You've seen this here in the valley when stuff starts to sprout out from under the snow. And he says that as the snow melts, the shepherd will lead his flocks up there. But here's the thing. It's a little bit further away. It's a little bit scary. It's away from the the fenced-in area. It's away from the house. So they're they're going up into the mountains. But to get to this better eating, better grazing, you know, cooler water, cooler temperatures in the hot summer months, it actually involves climbing up through these small ravines to get up there. It actually involves climbing up through a valley to get to this higher place. I don't know if you've ever done any, you know, hiking or anything, but oftentimes you've seen that the, the, the surface of a mountain will be rocky and crumbly, but there will be these places in the middle where water's coming down and, and, and soil can grow and grass can grow and there's some footholds there. And he says that's where he leads the sheep up through these valleys to get up into the safety or the higher place of the mountain where their better uh, food and water is. So he's, what he's pointing out is saying that the, that the shepherd actually leads his sheep into these dark valleys, into these places to lead them up into more life-giving sustenance, a place that's, to get there, to, to go up through these valleys is a little bit frightening. It's in the shadow of the mountain. It's dark. It's not a place that they're used to down at the bottom, but it's a place that he has scoped out. It's a place that the shepherd has been before and knows where he is leading them into. And he knows what's on the other side. He knows what is up there is good for them. But it's here, okay, it's in this marching up through the valley that staying close to the shepherd is of utmost importance. It's unfamiliar territory. It's scary territory. It's in the dark. It's not just stopping and consuming and it's not just wandering on their own, but it's staying close to the shepherd to go up through this valley. Friends, Jesus promised us that we would have times like this. Do you know that, like, that, that we would go through hard times, that we would go through dark places, these dark valleys that we need to climb through? Times of difficulty. But what he told his disciples, he says, in the world you will have trouble, You will have trials, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. I have overcome these trials. They exist. You will have them. I've overcome. I'm with you, leading you through this. We spend so much energy, so much energy and time trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid struggle, going out on our own, or we just want to stay put. And Jesus is like, you're going to have them. Here's the good news. I've overcome them, and I'm with you in them. What Jesus promised us, what the greatness of God and the narrative of scripture and his love points out over and over again is that we do not follow a God that is unacquainted with grief. We don't follow a God who's unacquainted with suffering and trial. We serve Jesus. We follow Jesus who understands the pain of the human journey and says, I have overcome it and I walk it with you. 
He has come out the other side of the valley victorious and in full life. He has scoped it out and knows what is up there for us and walks with us. There was this time uh, when... When my wife Jess went away, I tell a lot of stories like this, like bad things happen when Jess goes away, okay? And, and so like next time I tell you she's going away, tell me don't do anything stupid. But there was this time where Jess went away and I was like, you know what? The kids are like rammy, they're cooped up in the house. I'm going to take them for this little hike. And, and by where we used to live, it was called the Pine Barrens, New Jersey Pine Barrens. It's thousands of acres of just like scrub pine trees, sandy soil, pretty flat, no problem, right? I've been there before. And so I take the kids out on this walk and I couldn't quite get my car to where I had wanted to actually walk into the woods, so I started earlier than I normally... I had been on this path before, but I was like, eh, it'll be okay. All right, so this analogy is going to break down real quick, because I'm a bad shepherd in this story, okay? But you'll get the point. They should have just been with their mother, and it would have been safer. But anyway, so she's got a better sense of direction than me. Okay, all right, all that aside. So we go into the woods, right? And I'm bringing the kids on this, on this path, and I'm like, okay, I know that this is going to end up at this one place. Let's just walk. I'm pretty sure it's this direction. I got totally lost. Like, I had no idea where I was. Like, at one point, I was making arrows in the sand in case we crossed back. Like, like my Bear grills was coming out. Like, if, if we come back this way, I'll know that we shouldn't be. We need to keep going in this direction. Or if they need to come find us, there'll be arrows. Anyway, so we're walking. And we get to this place where the path was kind of narrow. And there was, like, this eight-foot-long puddle that was, like, d- deep. And the kids had no business walking through it. But all along the sides of us were briars that were like, you know, chest high. And I couldn't send them through there. I couldn't make them walk through the water because it would have like trashed their shoes and clothing. So I'm like, all right, we have to keep going this way. So I think I put Owen on my shoulders and like just ripped through the thorns, like cut up his legs, cut up my arms, go through and get him to the side. Jimmy, I'm like, I'm not doing this. And I literally put my hand under his butt and went, Phoom, and I just like launched him over the puddle. And he's just like, like, and he made it, and it was fine. I don't know what I did with Abby. I think I probably carried her. I don't remember. But I was like, we, we can make this work. It was a really stupid thing to do. But we, we made it out. We made it out alive, and the kids should just stay with Jess and never go into the woods with me. Uh, but here's the question, right? Okay, I'm a bad shepherd. Like, the analogy doesn't totally hold true, but here's the question. I was, I was with them on the journey. All right, I, have, I have a better sense of what needs to happen, how to stay safe, how to not panic. Um, you know, I had experience in these woods. I had a pretty good idea of how to get back to the car and how not to get lost-er. Uh, but here we were. Here's the question. Would they have been better without me? Now, don't answer that out loud. But, but would they have been better without me at like eight years old, lost in the woods, right? Probably not, right? Like this is probably not a good scene for them. This is how life is with Jesus as our shepherd. We so often want to avoid the dark valleys because they look scary. So we sit in the same spot and we consume and we consume and we consume. We end up gnawing on, on the roots or we get picked off by the enemy. Or, or we decide to follow our own paths and we end up alone and scared and we end up getting picked off or injured. When maybe Jesus is actually walking with us through the valley. The valley could be a result of sin. I'm not saying every bad thing that happens, like this is God's... Do- I'm just saying God walks with us through them. And it is better with him. So we draw close to him because he's been here before. He knows how to get out. He knows what it looks like to walk through it. We so often fix our eyes on these small feasts, on small plots of ground to sit down on and eat and consume. But our eyes should be on the hope of full restoration someday. 
of new creation, of what is ahead for us that we've only begun to taste some of now by the presence of Jesus in our lives. See, friends, the true feasting is found in Jesus, is found in following him wherever he leads. And when we follow Jesus, he may very well lead us into a valley that is dark and scary. Some that are even full of terrible struggle. But somehow we need to keep in view that it's for our good to be with him in it. And it's for his glory somehow, and that is a good thing. To believe that he's been there before, and he actually knows what is best for us as we walk through this dark time and and, and this to remember that he is with us, that he is Emmanuel, God, with us. And we keep our eye on the long-term goal, the long-term reality of eternal life with him, the long-term reality of a new heavens and a new earth, that, that someday there really is greener grass that we move towards. And he's started to plant that in our lives now. We have a foretaste of that, but we look forward to the fullness of that. That this life is short. The pain is real. Okay, let me validate that for a second. Pain and struggle are real. It's not something that we just say, well, just got to have faith and get over it. Like, no, like pain and struggle are real for Christians. And we need to believe that. But we need to believe that, that our present trials, the things we're going through, don't compare with future glory. Okay, that, that our present, that the present garbage that we have to walk through will someday pale in comparison to the goodness of new creation and eternity in Jesus' presence. That our inheritance in Jesus, as the writer in Hebrews says, is an unshakable kingdom that can't be taken away from us. So do we walk through dark times now? Yes, but it doesn't compare with the future glory of what is coming for us for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is one of the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith. And I don't find that any religion has an answer to this. Like, I don't think anybody has an answer for what to do with the problem of evil and the problem of pain. But this is one of, to me, the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith as well. And religion will tell us, moralism will tell us, keep following the rules, keep behaving, and then maybe God won't get you. Like, that's a little bit of the secret message behind religion and moralism. Just keep doing the right things, and then God just has to bless you. Like, read the book of Job. It's all over it. Or religion will say, well, you're in a bad spot right now. Clearly, you must have been a sinner you kind of deserved it. Like, that's messed up. That's messed up. But the world, on the other hand, will say, yep, pain exists. You better run away. You better make your own path. Make yourself safe. You better find fun. You better find joy. You better carve out your own path and secure it for yourself. But the gospel is this, that somewhere in the pain and the suffering that Jesus leads us through, our closeness to him is our source of life and confidence, but it's also life itself. That knowing Jesus is life itself. And being with him is life itself. Friends, we get so caught up in trying to figure out why. Why do these bad things happen? Why is God allowing this to happen? And I've come to this place where I have two choices in this. And you might disagree with me about this. But I feel like I have two choices in this matter. I have to believe that God allows things to happen. That bad things come through God's hands before they get to us and believe that God uses them eventually for my good and for his glory. Or I have to believe that God is powerless and can't do anything to stop them. I I have to believe that, that God is either allowing this to happen and he knows and uses it for my good and his glory or he's powerless and can't stop it. 
He's either powerful enough to allow it and loving enough to redeem it, or he is weak and powerless to stop it. This this is the only logical place that I can come to. And so I look to Jesus and I see that he is loving enough to redeem the worst and powerful enough to overcome it. I have to look to Jesus to get even close to an understanding of, of what God is doing in the midst of hard times. Otherwise, I serve a powerless God. I don't like that answer. I see a loving, powerful God in Jesus. So I choose to believe that God knows exactly what he is doing in me, and he knows exactly what he's doing in the paths that he's leading me on, and that my paths lead to death, that my paths lead to an empty life, but his path leads to full life now and forever. And that full life is found in drawing close to the shepherd and closer and closer to him. So how do we do that? How do we draw close to the shepherd, right? Like, how do, we, how do we draw close to the shepherd to walk with us through these valleys? Well, if you look at what David says there at the end, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm walking through this valley with you. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. When you study shepherds, you see that they would use that rod to, like, hit the sheep a little bit, kind of like poke them and tell them, like, go this direction over here. They would use it to comb through their wool to look for, like, skin disease underneath. They would have them pass underneath the rod to count them, to see. They know their sheep well. They would use the rod to inspect, to guide, to push. They'd use the staff. The staff is like the typical shepherd's crook, like that thing that we all have an image of, like by the manger, right? Like this, this shepherd's hook. The, the shepherd's hook is a little bit more gentle. They would use it to, to lift up a baby lamb and give it to its mother. They would use the, the shepherd's crook to lift up a, a sheep that had fallen into a ditch and to pull it out. It's meant to be a little bit more comforting. If you study scripture, you see that the word rod is actually used several times to indicate the word of God. That the word of God is actually like this rod that guides us, that that tells us where to go, that inspects us and says, you kind of got this thing going on in your spirit. Maybe this isn't the gospel here. Friends, we study the scripture, not just to memorize verses which are good, not just to tell us about some rule book for life. We study scripture to find the gospel. We study this rod, this word of God to be told about who we are and who God is. This is why we go to the word to draw close to Jesus. Where the, the staff, this, this idea of this gentle comforter, this gentle guide is more like the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would send the guide. Remember, it's this Holy Spirit that, that comforts us, that walks us, that reminds us of the gospel, that draws us close to Jesus. So are you making time to study the word? Are you making time to, to listen to the spirit, to have times of quiet, to say, spirit, where are you leading me? What are you doing in me? And friends, <clears throat> are you walking with a flock of people, other sheep who are pointing you to the gospel? We so often surround ourselves with, with, with culture and, and, and Western thinking, or we surround ourselves with religion and moralism, and we tell ourselves, this must be the right thing to do, and no one, none of those are really pointing us to the gospel. Are you surrounding yourself with a community group, with friends, with other people who are helping disciple you, who are helping have faith for you when you can, when you're walking through the valley and believing for you and saying, here's who you are. Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember who you are in the gospel. This is the point of being a family on mission, is that we don't do this alone. We go to the word together, we listen to the spirit together, and we comfort one another. We build one another up and walk together. Friends, this life is not easy. And when we stay in one spot expecting it to be easy, we get picked off. We consume and we consume and we consume and we find it empty. 
We find it empty. And the world tells us to carve out our own paths, go find your own joy, and we end up in a ditch. We end up empty as well. The good shepherd says, follow me. Follow me. I am with you always. I have been here before. I know what lies ahead. Stay with me. I'm leading you to a place of rest. Yes, the journey is uphill and through some dark ravines, but I will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And he says, I do this for my joy and for yours. Abide with me and I will abide with you. I will guide you in right paths. I will be with you forever. Friends, to be with Jesus through the dark times is the point. It is an opportunity. It's not some threat to say, well, just learn your lesson and get over it or just push through it and you'll be okay. It's to be with Jesus. It's an opportunity to draw close to him in the midst of the darkness. So I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know if you're in in a valley. I don't know if you're in struggle right now, but can I encourage you, keep walking. Stay close to the shepherd. Draw close to the gospel. Don't just sit down and wallow. Don't just say, I gotta muscle up and pull my way through this. It's trusting God one day at a time, one step at a time, getting little bits of him through the spirit, through the word, and through other people who are walking with you. And the end result is knowing God deeper and being transformed by it. And I don't know if if you're not walking in darkness right now and your life is great and you feel like everything's good, fantastic, praise God. I would urge you to check your path. Are you truly walking and following him and hearing from him and receiving from him? Or are you just gnawing on the same roots still? It's gonna run out. It will run out. Are you truly following the shepherd that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The shepherd that says, I am with you Always, this is the point. This is our opportunity in the valley to walk with the shepherd and have it change our lives. Would you pray with me?